The following podcast is a member of the Pokecasters Network. Pokecasters Network, supporting Pokemon content creators, their shows, and the community of Pokemon fans. To find out more, check out pokecastersnetwork.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook. Hello, and welcome to Lucas Lectures, hosted by the big fish himself, veteran Lucas. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's topic. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Lucas Lecture. This is me, Veteran Lucas. Hope you guys had a fantastic Thanksgiving. And while you guys are currently fighting over the nicest pair of shorts at the Victoria's Secret that are off sale by only 5%, I hope you guys are having a great Black Friday weekend and hopefully receiving the minimal amount of bruises that are required from shopping. Fun fact, they have Black Friday here too in Japan, but instead of just technology and stuff, it's also at the grocery store. So there's cheap beef. And I really miss cheap beef. And that's what I'm all about, is getting some meat. And I swear, beef here is so expensive. First thing I do when I get home is I'm going to stop at the worst steakhouse I can find and get the biggest steak I can. Because while I want steak, I'm also cheap. All right, so today's episode, as the name suggests, we are going to talk about the first Pokemon trainer. Now, if you guys are really deep into the Pokemon lore, you'll notice that when you get into some of the ancient civilization stuff, it's literally the ancient ruins of a city or a kingdom or an empire or a conquering force. We don't really get a lot of discussion on where humans come in and when they actually started having a relationship with the Pokemon, or in this case, in our case, animals around them. Like, we don't talk about that. No one talks about that. It's almost as if it just went from zero to... Boom! Ancient civilization. Enjoy, kids. I want to talk about what probably happened to get Pokemon to be friends with us. What instances occurred to get the Pokemon to realize that we weren't a threat, and for the people realizing to think, hey, maybe these Pokemon can be more useful to us. Uh, so we'll go over a couple things first. We'll go over how does one get a civilization to begin with, uh, where animals fit in alongside us, and then we'll go into a little story I made up which probably follows what could have possibly happened to get Pokemon to like us. Now, we talked a bit about animal domestication before, so I'll try and summarize it, and you can find the episode where we talked about it. Although, I do think it was years ago, so I'll do my best for those who don't want to dig way back to that time. So, everything's got to start somewhere. So, how did we go from tracking mammoths to smartphones? I mean, if you think about it, modern humans have been around for roughly 200,000 years, and for most of it, we were nomadic. We went from place to place. We had a rotation going, just like wildebeest, just like all kinds of migrating animals, where we would find a spot where there's food, uh, we'd remember it, and we'd come back to it year after year, as long as there was food coming. Uh, we went there for food, but also we went there as convenience, because once you know the area, you can just keep going back and forth. Now, eventually... All of that kind of pittered out all over the world at different times and different places. Uh, there are some still nomadic tribes out there that still live as their ancient ancestors did. But for the most part, a lot of people settled. And that is because we discovered how growing plants work. Uh, what is thought to have happened and what we know from the fossil records and from anthropology and paleoanthropology is that while we were moving, there would be people who went out and collected grass and plant life. And they would just throw the seeds and leftovers from whatever they were eating into a big stinking garbage pile. Because humans are always going to leave trash no matter where they go, no matter what time period you're in. 
But the seeds that they would throw in would eventually grow. And by the next year, the nomads would eventually realize, oh, snap, there's food growing out of our old trash pile. Over time, this led to them understanding how they could grow things in different soil. This led to them understanding how plant life worked. And eventually, it led to them being able to start their own agriculture. We say agriculture when you have your own garden. But think about it from, a, from an ancient man's standpoint. You now have the ability to grow your own food. You don't have to move around anymore. But in order to do that, you'll have to organize your workforce. So you'll also have to have collective leadership. You'll also have to have some way of getting water. You'll have to have someone working out. So just with agriculture, you go from having a couple of ragtag humans moving together and just trying to survive. You now have people who are able to create enough food to never have to move again. I mean, for the foreseeable human future of like a lifespan of 30 years. And in order for you to become an official civilization, that is just one of the steps. You also have to have an organized set of living structures. So you have to have a bunch of places for people to live. So that can be tents, that can be buildings, that can be carved out holes in the wall. It has to be an organized set of living areas. You need some form of government. Don't care if it's one guy literally yelling at you to do stuff, but most cases it's going to be multiple people yelling at you to do stuff. You need a belief system. So you need to believe in something. Even if you're an atheist, technically that is a belief system, and your belief system is that there is nothing but yourself. So that is still, you are part of the whole, you're part of a civilization. Congratulations. Uh, you'll need to be able to write, but you can write off writing. Because there are some civilizations that aren't able, that don't have a written language, but they are still able to translate a story or information over a voice or a song or a dance. And uh, finally, you are going to need social structures such as trade and enough free time to make some kind of art. You need to be able to make some kind of artistic impact, and that is what you need to officially become a civilization. So from agriculture, every major civilization started up to become what we know as a civilization. And the earliest civilizations were found in the uh, in Mesopotamia, and the first true empires was that of the um, Uruk people of Gilgamesh. Though that's how they know him as the first king. Uh, fun fact, one of the official, well, sorry, the unofficial checkpoints for being a civilization is the production of alcohol. If you can produce alcohol, it means you have enough organization, time, and energy to let grain ferment. Good job. Now, where do animals fit in? Now, along the way, just about every group of early humans seems to have come in contact with some form of animal, and they've decided to make their lives easier. Uh, cats are the exception. Cats went after us, and then we just kind of got adopted into their group. It's really interesting, the dynamic between the difference between dogs and cats. Uh, dogs are the best example, though. Um, as it started with wolves that seem to have been tracking our food as humans, like we would both be tracking the same food. Uh, we are the more affected killers, so the wolves would feed off the scraps, and over generations, they got closer and closer and closer. Uh, there are different theories as to how they got closer. Some people think that eventually they just kind of baited them closer and had them live. Other people think that they took pups out of the litter and just ran away as fast as they could. Again, this was tens of thousands of years ago, and dogs have been domesticated more than one time. So there's definitely different ways that that could have been done. Uh, cows and livestock animals were originally domesticated as work animals. Uh, on our last episode, we discussed how the process of domesticating something like a horse and training it 
is really rough for the first people who are doing it. It's not something that can be done in a week, but it seems as long as you kept that animal fed, kept them content, gave them enough room to walk around in, um, the animal just slowly adapted to being in that closed conditions. There are different requirements to being able to domesticate an animal. You can't domesticate a zebra. You can't domesticate things like a rhino due to things like how long it takes for them to grow up, uh, their temperament, how skittish they are. So we just kind of lucked out in getting the 14 or so species that work, we work with. Again, some people were not so lucky. If you lived in sub-Saharan Africa, you didn't get horses. You got stuck with the zebras. You're not riding out of anywhere. If you were Egypt, you got attacked by people coming in from the north with horses. So you just jacked their horses from Eurasia. And that's just how you kind of went on with your life. You either domesticated the animals yourself or you stole them from someone who domesticated them and worked it back from there. Now, let's speculate a bit. Pokemon is filled with ancient civilizations in their lore, which is about every region having some ancient civilization that they talk about it one way or the other. Most of them are focused on a single powerful artifact, belief system, a legendary, and it's kind of, or it might even be dedicated to just a single type of Pokemon, like the like the Draconids. All great civilizations have to start somewhere though. You don't just go from zero to empire. So let's think about who the first humans to train Pokemon were. Where would they come from? What they're about. Um, let's set the stage. It is Kanto region, 30,000 BGO. A BGO stands for Before Gary Oak. Most likely scenario is we are probably following a group of humans who are looking and foraging. <clears throat> Common misconception is that humans would be scared of the wildlife. I mean, we think about terror birds and lions and saber-toothed cats and mammoths and think how scared we would be. But for the humans, they would probably realize that they're capable of defending themselves. So I think it would be the same for the Pokemon world. They would be foraging from place to place, going after fruits and berries, and they would just not pick fights with the Pokemon, and they would know how to defend themselves. As they've been marching this area for thousands of years, they know the paths, they know what Pokemon are out there, and they know to be careful. Now one day, uh, you're going to have a certain ancient group of people or person who's going to notice something weird. Let's call him Timmy. Yes. We're going to call him Timmy. So one day, Timmy is going to one of the spots to go collect fruit for the rest of the group. Wanders off a bit from the others just because he knows a good tree. And while he's walking to the tree, he noticed that by the tree are a pack of Growlits. It could be any group, one of the smaller Pokemon. It could be a Machop. It could be Rattatas. It could be a lot of different things. But let's go with Growlits. We're working with dogs here, so they're probably going to be a little bit easier to domesticate. These animals, these Pokemon, are not unknown to Timmy. Timmy's probably seen them a million times in his life. He knows what they're capable of. He knows they can set them on fire. So he probably has water ready to go to throw, sharp stick or a rock, ready to fight back. He's got a weapon. But he notices that it's a little bit different. Instead of them, like, barking or running off or setting a stance, they stare at him, and then they look back to the tree. Like, they don't do anything else. So Timmy decides, well, this is weird. I could go back to the others, but I do want to get some fruit before I go. I do want to try to get something. So he tries to sneak around the tree. Now, he thinks he's gotten away from the Growlithe. He's outsmarted them, but the Growlithe are plenty smart. They know full well that that man just went around the tree, 
it is going to climb up and get some food. Now, once Timmy makes it up the tree, let's say he's getting some berries. The second he starts coming down, the dogs, the growlers, just start looking and they start barking and yipping at him. In a panic, he throws a couple of berries down. And he notices that the second he does, they run away. Then they do not pay him a single mind. They do not attack him. They do not bother him. They just wanted the food. He stands there for a bit, uh, kind of just stunned that he's not being set on fire right now. The growlers look back. They look at the food, they start walking closer, and that's when Timmy just bolts. He gets out of there as fast as he can, runs back to the other humans and tells them, guys, the Growlithe didn't kill me. Like, they could have, but they didn't. Like, uh, they probably would semi-believe him, semi-not, think he exaggerated, ask him if he got any food, and then move on from there. When they pick up and leave, Timmy and some of the others would probably notice that the Growlithe are following them. And it's not a hostile kind of following. It's not like they're stalking. It's almost inquisitive. It's almost like they're just following along safe enough because they don't trust the humans, but they kind of want that food. Now, as time goes on, the people are going to get more and more comfortable with these animals. Uh, you see that in modern day. You get people who move up to Canada and you'll see moose and all kinds of nonsense and you'll freak out at first but then you move on in florida it's alligators in australia it's literally everything out there but people get used to the animals in their surroundings as they get more comfortable with each other over generations of uh, growlith and humans you'll eventually get a growlith who doesn't really mind living near or even in the camp and the humans don't mind either you know the growlith are able to set fire to stuff but they are not doing it and they seem to be pretty useful in finding trees that have plenty of fruit on them. So why not take advantage of this? In fact, why not see if other Pokemon will come with them if they feed them? Why not try and get them to join you in order to survive? This would be the start of people having partners. This would be the first steps in becoming the first Pokemon trainers. Eventually, you would get people who know how to work with the Pokemon and know how to communicate with them in such a way that they can get them to work and help out. Eventually, you'll be able to get all kinds of Pokemon to help you out and move forward. Think about the work that could be done if you trained a Machop to cut down trees, if you went with a Rattata to go and chase after things that were coming at you. Again, a Rattata sounds pretty silly, but if you ever had a rat run at you, believe me, you run away too. There's so many applications to having a Pokemon on your side for an ancient human, why not give it your best shot? Now, a couple notes in that story. I did have to cut out some theories and details, as well as go skip over generations. Um, honestly, I could have also said that when they, they found Growlithe and took the pups, but that seemed a really bit of a dark turn. And even if that did happen in reality, it didn't happen in my little story. Uh, we can see behaviors like this in real time. If you don't think it's possible to befriend a wolf, like you think dogs are the only ones you can do it, and you can, and wolves are just unfriendly creatures. Uh, they are friends with crows. If you go over to Yellowstone, they notice something really weird. The wolves they introduced there have started forming friendships almost and teamwork with the crows. The crows will call out to different food items and have the wolves hunt it down. Crows get a snack. They'll even be seen playing with each other. There's possible play behavior going on between wolves and crows in Yellowstone right now. Look up the pictures. It's adorable. You'll even have crows like playing with pups' tails and chasing after each other. It's really sweet. Now, again, if you're really deep 
in Pokemon lore. You probably know about Uxie, Mespirit, and Azel, uh, the three mystic Pokemon that were dropped off in Gen 4. Those Pokemon are thought to have respectively brought knowledge, joy, and willpower to human beings. And again, with Pokemon, we know they're called legendaries, but they are real. How I choose to interpret that is that humans would have started training and working with Pokemon. People would have started domesticating Pokemon, living in huts, starting agriculture. And those legends probably saw the humans, saw how much they struggled, and decided to give them a reward for the struggle, even give them a hand to help them become what we are today. So that might have been the kickstart to having an empire. Those three legends might have been the kickstart for them realizing, wait, this building structure would work better than our flimsy tents. Or, wait, if we can get the water to come to us, why do we need to keep running with buckets? There's so much that can be done from just that inspiration and willpower where humans have to pick it up slowly. The Pokemon people are lucky. It's just benevolent spirits show up and go, you think better, you be happy better, and you do something. And that's literally all that seemed to happen from the legend. Finally, I would love to see Pokemon tackle this kind of story. I would like to see Timmy, the first Pokemon trainer. Please don't use the name Timmy. But that would be a really cool story to talk about the first people to interact with Pokemon. Not just the empires fighting, not just the people worshipping them. I want to see the first people who hang out with Pokemon and become trainers and become bonded. Because that, to me, is an interesting story and one we don't think about enough. We take so much of what we do with animals for granted. But we worked really hard to get those animals to want to be around us. And I have no doubt the first Pokemon trainers had a way harder time because at least a wolf can't breathe fire. Now, if you guys have any questions, comments, anything like that, please take to Twitter, take to Facebook. I love answering your guys' stuff. Leave a review on your favorite podcasting site because that helps trick the algorithm into thinking we're good at this. I'm just kidding. I know we're awesome. So if you guys want to know anything else and if you guys want to be a part of our community, uh, please join us on our Discord. Please join us on our Facebook, our Twitter, anything like that. Thank you so, so much. Hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your holiday. I'll catch you guys in the next episode. Peace!